You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde at work. Bloomberg's world headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up in the next hour, Alphabet slums after a report that Samsung has considered replacing Google with Microsoft's Bing as the default search engine on its devices. We discuss the impact of the AI race. Plus, Apple's sales in India ramp up. We'll bring you the details on Bloomberg's exclusive reporting with just two months to go until WWDC. And the hashtag LoveIsBlindLive turned to hashtag LoveIsLate as Netflix was hindered by traffic issues around the popular reality show's live reunion. But first... There's just really one story that's making big moves, and that is that New York Times report that Samsung is considering replacing Google search on its installed devices for Microsoft's Bing search. Microsoft moving three-tenths of a percent up to the upside But look at Alphabet, down more than 3.5%. That puts it on track for its biggest drop since early February. So clearly the market paying attention to what this potentially would mean. The New York Times article talking about a potential hit to revenue of around $3 billion for Alphabet, the parent of Google. A lot of detail in that report, but clearly the market paying attention, Caroline. Yeah, and really we see the money move. We also want to get to the nitty gritty with Mark Bergen, whom we're pleased to say is joining us, covering all things technology, particularly the world of Alphabet out of London. And Mark, when you're trying to analyze how important these sorts of narratives are coming from the New York Times reporting and the like. Is it realistic that this could all be down to artificial intelligence in some way and the way in which they're wrapping them? I think this is realistic in the way that it comes down to competition. This is, I mean, the Times report talked about how this is shocking to people inside Google. This is something they didn't expect for a long time. We have this, this lock on the mobile world, right? Android phones are built on Google. They are packaged with Google search. Samsung for years have been trying its own versions of uh, artificial intelligence services, voice assistant services. They've all kind of failed miserably. Uh, Apple has, has Siri, but is stuck with Google on search. And now for the first time, we have this critical, credible idea where a company is saying, we're actually going to go to Bing and everyone, including the market, is taking it seriously. Mark, as we look at search as a marketplace, I think Google has more than 90% of market share 
globally across platforms based on third-party data. But I guess the question at this point is how real is it for Samsung and its 260 million devices shipped last year to just pivot to a completely new preferred search app? Uh, I mean, that would be unprecedented in some ways. You know, that is, uh, you're certainly going to have some adoption with consumer. I imagine Samsung, listen, uh, is going to take this very carefully, right? Like, they, they don't want, they obviously want to sell more phones. Um, and they don't want a world in which they ship a device with, with Bing and they're selling fewer phones. Uh, but this is a lot of leverage here with this deal with Google where they sit across the table and, and Samsung is the biggest hardware partner in the Android world um, and something that they've been working closely with Google for a long time. The complication here is that you know, Google also provides Android for free, which is not just search, but it's the Play Store, right? It's, it's all the suite of apps uh, that make the Android phone work. Uh, and Google, of course, has their own Pixel phone that has struggled to really become anything uh, as a serious contender along with, with Samsung yeah. and Apple. Uh, but we understand why Google for, has been plowing billions of dollars into that for a scenario just uh, precisely like this. The irony, of course, all of this, Mark, is that we all associated really the world of artificial intelligence with Google, the focus on DeepMind from very early on, the way in which they've deployed large language models and AI vision into many of their use cases. What did you make of Sundar Pichai in particular taking to the airwaves over the weekend and how he spoke to perhaps people feeling that they're kind of behind on this race? Yeah, it was an interesting approach going to 60 Minutes. I, I mean, their target audience, I guess, is uh, middle America is um, telling the world uh, that we are, the message they've been saying for years, right? If you listen to any Google earnings call, this has been consistent. We are ahead on AI. And I think that was uh, certainly true. What I, what I do think what, what ChatGBD t did, and I don't know necessarily, there's going to be a lot of comparisons about the technical prowess. And, uh, but what they actually came out with a consumer application that people can interact with and companies can interact with, right? Like every startup in the world is testing out the ChatGPT API, uh, something that really they, they locked into this kind of magic uh, that Google, despite maybe a technical lead, hasn't really unlocked. Um, that being said, you know, I think that you know, Google's been investing so much in this. It has so many, so many engineers. You can't count them out uh, of this, but certainly and sort of like the narrative in technology companies is everyone wants to try ChatGPT. Another part of the New York Times article, Caroline, was the idea that Google is going to bring AI functionality to search. And actually, mm. Google did issue me a comment and a statement saying, by the way, we've been using AI in Google search for years, and they believe they've done so in a safe and responsible way. You know, yeah. going back to the idea, like, we've been at this for a while anyway. I thought that was interesting. And Amazon said the same thing, didn't they, in, the, in Andy Jassy's letter. We've been doing this for decades, by the way, team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Bloomberg's Mark Bergen out of London. Thank you so much. Let's stick with this topic and bring in Rohit Kolkani of Roth Capital Partners. The markets have given a clear response, Rohit, to this story. Uh, Alphabet shares down the most since early Feb. What's your reaction to the threat of, of Microsoft Bing getting traction in the, in the Samsung smartphone space? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, thanks for having me. I think... Um, for the first time in 15 years, uh, there is a, some serious competitor to search um, uh, to Google. I think that's uh, what the market is telling you. Uh, for the last 15 years, we have never had a real competitor. You never, remember, people had AOL, people had Yahoo, people had Bing. Facebook even tried search. Uh, obviously, Apple tried search. 
every company has tried to be a dominating um, company in search and hasn't budged Google at all. Last 90 days, people are questioning that. And that's what uh, we are trying to figure out whether is this a sentiment um, or perception issue or is this uh, 12 months from now a real fundamental issue? Right now, it is just right. a sentiment issue, in my opinion. Caroline, we can go back to the third party data, right? Google is 90 percent of the search market, mm. at least globally. Yeah. And I think to that point, Ed, where was accusations last week being made that actually if Google wasn't so monopolistic in its power, perhaps we'd see further iteration in chat GPT and not being owned just by open AI. But Rohit, speak to that. Speak to what perhaps the CEO Sundar Pichai is trying to make an argument for is that they've been a, a trusted arbiter of this sort of reskilling, mm -hmm. retooling, generational shift in technology and maybe the pace is not being quite so controlled by other competitors? I think so. As in, um, in Google, we trust. In my opinion, we, they have the data, they have the consumer behavior, they have the consumer front end to internet, and they've owned that over the years. And they've gone through iterations through mobile, through desktop, and various different ways. So in my opinion, from a stock perspective, I feel uh, Google will come out of this uh, probably unharmed or maybe even stronger. In the interim, I think uh, ChatGPT proposes a real, real issue uh, to how um, kind of search is going to evolve over the next six months. Whether Google is ahead of the curve or always going to be a follower will dictate the stock price. In the next six months, I feel uh, Google is going to be following the uh, the narrative that ChatGPT is setting out there. That That makes it a little bit harder for Google management to be aggressive and I feel uh, they, they need to step in front and uh, come out with more aggressive product launches and open up their AI kimono, if you will, in a way that uh, ChatGPT has done. Rohit, you've got a $108.87 target, is that right, on, on Google, a buy rating. How much of what you see in Alphabet is the potential that Bard brings, the, the legacy of work in artificial intelligence? Uh, by the way, just to clarify, uh, price target is uh, 126. Um, You're right. I apologize. 126. Uh, all, yeah. All good. I, I think, um, again, in, in my opinion, BARD is just one of the several experiments that we will see uh, from Google. Just to highlight that, what you were uh, discussing earlier, that, look, we have been doing AI, AI research and everything that the industry is talking about for the last maybe a decade. ChatGPT is based on the technology that was created by Google eight years ago. ChatGPT started maybe six years back. So again, Google has been the foundation of global AI research for many, many years. And I think that's where we'll see more experiments and more consumer use cases unlock over the next uh, probably three to six months. And I think Google needs to step their game up in the PR um, as far as PR is concerned. Rohit Kalkani, Roth Capital Partners, thank you for your quick reaction to that story. Caroline. In Google would trust, quite the key line. Meanwhile, let's stick with AI, Ed, because well, the first wave of academic research applying ChatGPT to well, our world of finance is arriving. Two new papers have been published this month alone that deployed ChatGPT in market-relevant tasks. Look, one in deciphering whether the Federal Reserve statements are hawkish or dovish, whether they're pro-interest rate cuts or, or against them, and the other in determining whether headlines are good or bad for stocks. OpenAI... Get this, Ed, aced both tests with ChatGPT. And I think, of course, money managers, particularly the quants, have been using large language models yeah. for a long time. But this is about democratization once again. 
It, my mind goes back to that story we were telling last year as well about all of Wall Street hiring talent away from the technology sector, mm. people that could use and interpret the data generated by these tools. And the point being is to whether or not you can easily trade on these sorts of numbers, whether it means that it all has to be owned by certain, well, very wealthy hedge funds and quant teams that have the power, the money to hire such expensive yeah. talent from the technology world, or whether, in fact, people can start turning to these plugins like a ChatGPT to just, well, certainly cost save to a large extent. And when you have Bank of America's Brian Moynihan and JP Morgan's Jamie Dimon talking about AI, yeah. tends to give it a bit of a momentum, which we will also stick with on Bloomberg Technology. Let's get straight to Apple. Shares of the iPhone maker down half a percent. Bloomberg reporting overnight that sales in India reached $6 billion for the 12-month period through March, which represents a 50% sales growth for the same one-year period a year earlier. We're learning more, Caroline, about this market, India. In terms of sales, and we know about the supply chain story, let's bring up this chart and look at actually the breakdown of Apple sales globally, because India is not technically broken out. This Bloomberg reporting, according to sources, it's lumped in with the rest of Asia Pacific, which is 7% of sales for the full year 2022. But it seems like we're growing traction there, a market where the high price points have been a difficult one for Apple to to crack. But we know that Tim Cook is in that country right now, Caroline. Yeah, and it's all about this growing middle class willing to spend on those higher price points. It's just talk across the board on all things Apple right now. Bloomberg's Alex Webb clocking in late for us over in London. Just discuss, first and foremost, we've got so much to go through with Apple, but the India focus, the fact that they are able to not only do supply there, but also see the demand there. Yeah, there are two pieces to this, clearly. There's part of the the de-risking of its manufacturing by just trying to pull a little bit out of China. And we should highlight it is really just a little bit. Coincidentally, it's about $7 billion in sales, just a a billion, sorry, in, in revenue they generate from products that are made there. Six billion is what they're doing in sales. Now, quite often when they take when people talk about India, they say it's 10 years behind China. I mean, 10 years ago, Apple was still doing in excess of $25 billion in sales in China. So it's got a long way to go to get up to what is now in excess of $70 billion a year in China. But it is clearly making traction. That price sensitivity that Ed talks about, clearly a massive deal. Lots of people encountering it there. It's going to take a long time for them to be able to take a meaningful chunk out of the unit sales, at least, that Samsung does there. We know that Tim Cook's on the road. He's been tweeting pictures of himself in India. Bloomberg had reported that he himself will attend the opening of both the Mumbai and New Delhi stores this week. We are waiting for June and WWDC. It's all good focusing on one market, but we're also interested in product. And this is supposed to be the biggest WWDC ever. What are we expecting, Alex? Well, I don't know about the biggest ever, but it's certainly the biggest product launch for a very long time. We're going to be seeing this new headset, uh, according to you know our colleague Mark Gurman's reporting. This is, as we know, this is for developers. Therefore, there's going to be a big uh, emphasis on w- what is likely to be called XROS. That is going to be to their mixed reality headset, what iOS is to iPhones, what Mac OS is to Macs and MacBooks. Th- there's really going to be a huge effort there to show uh, developers what they can do and show, crucially, why it's going to be worth their while developing for this platform. Developers are really Apple's edge when it comes to any new product. You know, 
Facebook, Meta have really struggled to yeah. get a good developer base into their product lineup. If Apple can convince its developers to make good apps, then it will give the headset when it's released perhaps later this year a real leg up in competing with this very much nascent space. Yeah, Caroline, that's the two debates for the industry, right? How much demand is there for yeah. a high-end augmented reality headset and how much emphasis do they want to put on health when it comes to your smartwatch. Yeah, and I think actually, Alex, that's a good point, isn't it? We're looking at this new bright, shiny object. But they're also updating the operating systems of some of their original products. I think the watch is going to have a bit of a feature there. They've also got new Mac products. What else can we expect from them? I think that in terms of the actual new hardware, we're going to be seeing some new MacBooks, but you're quite right. They're going to be updating the full range of software. So you've got XROS, TVOS, MacOS, iOS, WatchOS, all of these things coming with a few more bells and whistles. We're going to be see seeing the uh, Apple you know, self-designed chips going into the, the MacBook Pro range, which will be something new. And you know, all in all, I think we're probably all those things are going to fade into insignificance given yeah. the attention that's going to be given to these new headsets. But there'll be lots of fun tools for developers to play with. All right. Thanks to Bloomberg's Alex Webb, who Caroline for a long time was out here in San Francisco. He knows this company inside and out just as well as Mark Gurman. We're grateful to have him. All right. Coming up, the highly anticipated SpaceX Starship. It's been put on hold. We'll tell you what happened next. Caroline. Yeah. And let's just for a moment take a beat as we look at some incredible shots of what could have been today as what actually is going on in the market right here, right now. We had some strong economic data, particularly coming out of New York. That hit sentiment. We see, of course, good news being bad news for tech stocks. We're up by four-tenths of a percent. This is Bloomberg. Oh, and also a comment on where really you should be putting your money to work from some experts as well. Cities Wealth CIO had this to say. So companies that have moats around them, you know, different technology companies and other, you know, industries where you can see both margin growth and revenue growth should be rewarded. It's time now for Talking Tech. Elon Musk, well, he's incorporated a new entity called XAI. It's all according to Nevada State documents. Now, while the documents don't list the company's purpose, some are speculating that these efforts could be part of a larger project to rival the likes of companies like OpenAI, which, of course, Musk, having initially helped found, has now frequently criticized. And in other Musk news, yes, there's more, but SpaceX, it's postponed the launch of its massive Starship rocket that was set to lift off earlier today. Now, the company and CEO, of course, Elon Musk, confirmed there was a pressurization issue minutes before the launch ed. All right, let's stick with the big story. And we're joined by Bloomberg News' space reporter, Lauren Grush, who is out there on South Padre Island in Texas. We know why there was a pause, a delay, a scrub. Will we see Starship launch this week? You know, that is all variable. And honestly, this is just the name of the game when it comes to covering rockets, especially the first launch of a brand new rocket like Starship. You know, there are going to be scrubs. In fact, if it had gone off today, I would have been shocked because that is just how these things go when you're testing a brand new rocket. Will we see it go this week? I really hope so, because I'm staying in South Padre. <laughs> but, you know, if I'm going to be stuck in any place there are worse places to be stuck. <laughs> Lauren, I mean, already we heard from Elon Musk trying to put perhaps a positive spin on it, seeming pretty optimistic. But, I mean, it also might align with one of his favorite days, right? 
Yes. So there is a possibility that we could launch on uh, April 20th. Uh, you know, there are certain things associated with that date. I won't go into them. But yes, I think it would definitely please Elon Musk if we did launch on that date. <laughs> right. This is significant, Caroline, right? Starship, 16.7 million pounds of thrust. That's double what Saturn V was capable of doing in the 70s. Oof. This is a milestone, not just for the industry, Lauren, but for mankind. Why, though, is it a milestone? Well, if you think about it, I mean, the reason that Elon Musk founded SpaceX to begin with was to start a human settlement on Mars. And, you know, I spoke with analysts, you know, leading up to this. It really has all come down to this. This is the vehicle that they will eventually use to send people to deep space like the moon and Mars. And the only way that they can make that dream a reality is if they prove that Starship can actually launch to space. So there's still an extremely long road ahead for before anybody is taking any steps on any otherworldly surfaces from Starship. But the point is they have to show that it can reach space and it can reach near orbital speeds and actually get into orbit mm. before we have any chance of seeing this dream become a reality. And that, that is if a, it does happen, that, Lauren, very briefly, what do we expect to actually happen? You mean from this launch in general? Yeah. So this launch is really just proving out the basics. They just want to show that super heavy, that giant booster that is used to actually send Starship into orbit, that it can actually fly, that the two pieces can separate, um, what's called stage separation, and that uh, Starship can actually get to near orbital speeds. It won't be doing a full orbit. It'll actually be coming down off the coast of Hawaii, but it will be getting pretty close to, a, to orbit and orbital speeds, and it'll be getting into space. So those are the main things that they really want to test. Can it survive max Q, which is the point where all these pressures are on the rocket and it, and it, and it undergoes the amount of most intense forces? Can that stage separation happen? Can it reach space and can it get to near right. orbit? Wow. Well, we hope it happens for you, who's going to be stuck out there for a few days. We appreciate you bringing the time. Bloomberg's Lauren Grush, All Things Space. Meanwhile, All Things Crypto coming up ahead. Bitcoin is dipping below 30,000. We'll talk about why. Is it fundamentals? More the macro picture? Fractal co-CEO is going to be joining us. Aya Kantorovich. That's next, and this is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message, and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. Caroline, should we check the markets, take right. a look at where we are, particularly in equities? NASDAQ 100 softer by around seven-tenths of one percent. This is a market that's on track for a decline in April. I'm conscious that we still have a few days left to go. The debate about what the Fed is or is not going to do kind of weighing heavy. Uh, outperformance in the U.S. listed shares of Chinese technology companies. You see the Golden Dragon Index up 2.8 percent. A big part of that, some of the EV news out of that market overnight. Ten-year yield pushing higher, eight basis points or so to 3.59 percent. We're also, I think, as you put it, Caroline, seeing some of the wind out of the sales of crypto. I'm looking at Bitcoin and ETH as an example in this session. Both softer. Bitcoin off by 3 percent, back below 30,000 U.S. dollars per token, still mixed debate out there. A lot of long-term bulls and still some momentum in the near term based on what we're seeing in macro conditions when it comes to rates, but also some feel-good about the underlying technology. Yeah, and also what's happening in the banking sector, whether it was seen as some sort of stability amid oh, some concerns around the banking, well, overall financial conditions that we were seeing. Let's dig into all of these pushes and pulls. I'm pleased to say that Aya Kantorovic is with us. She is the co-founder and co-CEO of Fractal. It's an infrastructure provider for institutional crypto trading on chain. It also has just announced a $6 million seed raise with a financing round led by Hack VC. So congrats. Got some money in the bank, Aya. Just paint the picture right now. Yes, we're a little bit weaker on the day, but look at the run in Bitcoin up, what, 80% so far year to date. ETH as well with a successful upgrade. Are we seeing more, not only retail, but maybe institutional investment confidence coming back? Sure. So I'll actually start with Ethereum. So to your point, you mentioned that we had the Chappella update happen on April 12th of last week. That allowed for two different things, both uh, ETH to finally move to proof of work from uh, proof of stake, uh, and then also for Ethereum to be able to unstake itself and create liquidity in the markets. And so really what that does is three different pushes in momentum that we expect to continue as well across institutions and other users. So for example, uh, the first piece is actually very interesting. If you look at what happened with institutional investors in the last update six months ago, you actually saw that institutional investors were buying the rumor and then selling the news. And so mm -hmm. you saw the price uh, run up and then immediately drop afterwards. Differently in this run up, what you saw was actually the opposite. So you had a lot of institutional investors who were shorting Ethereum. And then on April 12th, they had to close their short and therefore buy the underlying asset. And that really led into the momentum of the price up. Uh, the second is also the latent demand that's just sitting on the sidelines, mm. you know, that was looking to see whether or not there would be any glitches in ETH and the update uh, in order to then pile into the asset class, which we then proceeded to see. Yeah. I will agree with you that in terms of the users specifically, it's definitely more crypto natives. But then comes that last piece, which is really interesting, which is there was a lot of negative sentiment with on-chain data around this huge sell pressure once you could unstake the Ethereum. And if you look at the data, 
it actually shows that less than 10% of the ETH that's being staked is looking, is yeah. in the queue to unstake. And of that 10%, majority is actually just the rewards that have been earned since Ethereum was staked. So it's very, very positive. And on Friday, you saw more ETH uh, that was staked than withdrawn. And many had thought a lot of these people were long-term holders, perhaps were underwater anyway from when they first started staking, sure. so would s- stay with. But to your point of institutions or in general crypto players native wanting to short, wanting to perhaps use derivatives to perhaps prepare themselves for this upgrade. What is liquidity like? What is the vacuum like for derivatives at the moment post FTX? Yeah, that's a great question. The honest answer is is the liquidity is definitely much drier, which also leads to why you see these momentum-driven events happen, because there's less liquidity in the market. And realistically, what's going to happen is uh, two years ago, we actually saw the pendulum swing where uh, markets used to be driven by Asia-based investors, uh, and that moved to U.S.-based investors. Now we're actually seeing the opposite, where a lot of the markets are being driven by U- Asia-based investors again and Asia-based exchanges. Uh, and you'll likely see that happen until the pendulum swings back to the U.S. Tracking the price momentum, spot price, the use of options, it's just one data set. What caught my eye, particularly in the back end of March, is the flows of money into various products tied to crypto. What, what do you take away from that? You know, what is leading the market to, to put money into these instruments at this time? Sure. So uh, interestingly, on March 10th, when SVB filed for bankruptcy, Bitcoin's price from that specific date is up over 50%. And I think it really, really focused in on and reiterated the reason for Bitcoin, also the narrative around Bitcoin being a safe haven, but also when Bitcoin was originally created in 2009 following the 2008 financial crisis. And so you'll likely see there's always a delayed reaction of money moving into investment products globally for digital assets following any instability in financial markets. But you'll likely continue to see that happen through year end. What's interesting, I, is you come on having just done a seed round, having successfully put out an offering there, infrastructure offering out there to institutional clients, clearly seeing that people want a different kind of transparency post FTX. But what you were based in Switzerland, you are now in between New York and Switzerland. What about the regulatory environment? You're just saying how more of the flows are coming or being done out of Asia. And most of the companies being founded wanting to go to Asia because of the regulation here in the U.S.? It's a good question. And I would say yes and no. I think specifically, especially for us as a startup, the jurisdictions we're very excited about, as you mentioned, Switzerland, as well as Singapore, Japan, Hong Kong, UK, and other European jurisdictions. In the U.S., actually, specifically, we're excited for U.S. regulators to move from regulation through enforcement to regulation through collaboration. Even if you look at last Friday with the Stablecoin Act that came out, you know, a lot of that, that was a bipartisan agreement with heavy, heavy influence from Circle. And so it's exciting to see those things come into play. And that's definitely something we're going to keep an eye out for. Specifically to Fractal, though, what I would say is we don't fall under the DeFi or decentralized finance definition. We're very much focused on on-chain finance and really just using the blockchain to create lower costs and more efficient infrastructure. It's interesting, Ed, that we've talked a lot about ETH, Bitcoin run-ups, but many have pointed to some of the altcoins not being caught up in that rally. And some saying even the decentralized exchanges that have done phenomenally well in terms of volumes, maybe some of their tokens haven't done as well as might have been expected of late. Yeah, I mean, the other conversation we've had, Aya, is from April 12th, the, the, the momentum that either is or isn't there in backing the underlying technology. You know, you are a founder and running your own business. 
How do you view the health of your company right now, the ability to raise funds, that of your, of your peers as well? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I would really specify a lot of these tokens are utility tokens, so it's really reflective of the usage of the application. To Caroline's point, obviously, you're not always seeing that one-to-one. That said, Fractal doesn't have a token, and we don't intend to anytime soon. And the investment ecosystem, I mean, we were able to close our round three weeks uh, with a term sheet given out the week after FTX collapsed. And so really strong momentum there. And I think you're continuing to see a lot of momentum for founders who have seen the ecosystem, have been in crypto for a while, and continue to put their heads down and keep building. Fractal co-founder and co-CEO, Aya Kantorovich. Thank you so much. Meanwhile... It's Earth Week here on Earth, and we're looking at the innovative, innovative ways that technology is taking charge to be more energy efficient. When it comes to electric cars, EV makers are finding new ways to build sleeker, more cost-effective systems that utilize the power of the sun. Bloomberg Green has the story. Are solar cars the next EV evolution? Decades of work on a solar car moonshot is slowing, seeding to a more pragmatic approach. Smaller, lighter, cheaper systems built to subtly augment electric driving rather than power a road trip in full. The sun is hard to ignore as it never stops showing up. And with the market now rife with electric vehicles, there is an auto ecosystem increasingly wired for electrons, including a charging infrastructure that on car solar systems would no longer have to do all the heavy lifting. As far as cost, solar panels have steadily become both cheaper and more efficient. Over the past decade, the price of solar modules per watt of power produced plunged by 78% to roughly 24 cents per watt, according to Bloomberg NEAP. At that rate, a panel array the size of a sedan has dropped from $222 to just under $50. Currently, Toyota sells a solar roof as an option on its Prius Hybrid. At Hyundai, meanwhile, a solar roof option is available for its Sonata sedan, and the company is drawing up plans to add solar panels to the Ionic 5, its breakout EV. And what about Tesla? Elon Musk has stated he believes the car is one of the least efficient places to put solar. That said, Tesla is pursuing an option for its Cybertruck owners to add solar, integrated into the cover of the pickup bed and possibly as unfolding wings. The sun, hard to ignore. Time now for our VC Roundup. An insect farming startup, Insect, spelt with a Y, just closed a $175 million financing round as it expands globally and looks to shift away from animal feed like mealworms fed to fish to high-margin pet food. Meanwhile, a Berlin-based Razor Group has raised $88 million in Series C funding round, bringing its valuation to as much as $1.2 billion. It's all according to TechCrunch, citing sources. It's also acquired its competitor, Strize Group, as part of a consolidation move. Now, let's get to what else we're hearing from our VC guests of late, where they see opportunities on the horizon. Take a listen. I recognize 
tricky environment right now. Not one where I'd recommend folks go, you know, running out there to try to raise a round. The reality is to technology reached a point right now that you actually don't need the same amount of capital you needed before. Optimism is coming back to seed in early stage. We are hiring. So what we are seeing is a new area of opportunities for new founders to come and change the industries that matter. Everything was happening through crypto. It was Web3, it was blockchain, it was everything. That has now switched, uh, shifted over to AI. AI has made... Um, the business of uh, threat detection, incident response, a lot more automated. AI, that's definitely an area where we're seeing a lot of green shoots. Let's bring in today's guest for his take on the future, investing opportunities, private markets, everything VC. Somesh Dash is a general partner over at IVP, $8.7 billion in committed capital. AI is quite clearly top of mind for your peers. Is it top of mind for you? Absolutely, and thanks for having me. AI, I believe, will be the third largest compute revolution that we've seen in our generation. We're going to see um, from Internet to mobile to now AI, the kinds of transformational shifts that happen once in a generation. We're seeing it play out actually uh, right now in real time. I heard your segment earlier today. If you think about the news today from Samsung, think about the dollars at stake with the dominance of search as it relates to AI. $3 billion dollars. For Samsung, the big fish, of course, is coming up in the next 60 days with Apple and Google. That's 18 to $20 billion a year to basically be able to get the search results. The question is, if Apple and Microsoft start partnering together, that's a $2.6 trillion company, a $2.3 trillion company. This is really going to be the future of the next decade in technology. Tell me where it also feels like it's the future, Samesh, is regulating it. Too. Interesting out of Europe at the moment, many had thought that they would be looking at high-risk AI applications when they were crafting their new regulation. Now people looking for it to go into general-purpose AI as well. What are you thinking about the regulatory landscape and building into it? Well, I think that's a great question. I think it's really important to have a balance where we need regulations to make sure that the application layer of AI is used for societal good. I'm a huge fan of making sure that uh, the government authorities work closely with the industry, whether it's large public companies or startups. I also think it's important for potentially thinking about new regulatory bodies that could actually enforce this in a way that's different from mm. traditional internet, software, or mobile enforcement. I think the real question will be, does this actually spur a new generation of mergers and acquisitions for startups and public companies, or will it slow it down, as we saw happen in the consumer sector over the last five to 10 years? Ooh, a bit of M&A and how it'll drive that, Ed. But really, the amount of pitches we get just from founders and VCs wanting to come on and talk about this yeah. ecosystem at the moment is phenomenal. Every single person works in AI now. <laughs> so it begs the question, how do you play the field? I mean, am I right in saying you must get dozens of pitch decks, decks across your desk every day? I'd say dozens are an understatement. If you look okay. across the firm, we're getting more than that. I think the most important thing to remember is these are early innings. So what we're actually seeing is the first set of companies that are coming out. It reminds me of GeoCities and Lycos in the early days of the web. We haven't seen the Google equivalents emerge yet. The difference, though, is the pace at which things are happening. ChatGPT got to 100 million users in two months. It took Facebook four years, Snapchat three years, Instagram two years to get to 100 million users. GPT-4 feels like old news. It's less than a month out since its general release. And what we're going to see is some of these applications, there's a, there's a model in which ChatGPT could get to a billion users within 12 to 24 months. Another big headline that Caroline and I have been discussing of late is the, the Pentagon and leaks. Discord had a role to play in that. 
And I believe you were, you were an investor in Discord. Absolutely, we are, yes. What do you make of that story? I think it's really interesting because I see all across Silicon Valley, New York, London, VCs putting a lot of money into defense-related startups. But in this case, this is a social media platform right. that's caught at the heart of this story. So first of all, what happened was horrible. I mean, the fact that now that there's been an arrest, it's been out in the public that this was a member of the U.S. military who basically took classified documents and shared them on a private chat room, a private server. What ended up happening, of course, though, was they violated two things. They actually shared illegal classified documentation. It's against the law. They broke the law. And they actually violated Discord's terms of service. So when Discord um, detected this, they worked closely with the federal authorities, with the DOD, to be able to actually stop this. And now that an arrest has been made and more evidence has come to light, it shows the importance of platforms to actually utilize uh, larger trust and safety teams. To tie this back to the previous conversation, though, this is where I think AI has an even bigger role. AI can actually replace human curation and actually enforce not just keywords and triggers, but also context, where in the future, not just words, but images can also be flagged faster, and that could prevent this sort of abuse and illegal activity from happening in the future. Interestingly, Samash, of course, when we think about Discord, it was really one of those companies we're expecting to soon enough exit, along with a lot of other key companies. What do you think about these trajectories at the moment? These, you've talked about M&A in certain areas of AI, but what about exit routes to something like a Discord? Well, I think for a lot of private companies now, this is really a period about investing in the future. What's exciting is AI actually presents an opportunity to rethink your business. It can actually be a huge accelerant, as we're seeing with Discord. Discord's work closely. If you think about the biggest AI communities right now, um, MidJourney and ChatGPT, OpenAI, both are actually on Discord. And if you think about some of the products that Discord itself has introduced, the most exciting for me was one recently that actually creates a summary tool that summarizes all the servers, the users. So if you've, le if you've left a forum and you want to come back and get a quick, fast summary of what you missed, you have AI as a tool to be able to do that. My own sense, though, is that many of these companies are getting stronger, not weaker, because they're investing in intellectual property, R&D. And in the coming years, these will actually be really big outcomes for uh, Silicon Valley. IVP General Partner Samesh Dash, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Caro. Yeah, coming up, so much more to discuss, and actually about platforms, about Netflix, how it failed to go live for a special episode of one of its most popular shows. What the streaming service is saying to the thousands of disappointed, well, love watchers. Stay tuned for that. Let's get a look at Netflix shares just after. Currently, that disappointment seems to be impacting the share market capitalization too. We're off by more than 2%. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. 
Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. the channel don't stream something else don't go to the bathroom we're coming for you we're coming for you all right guys show them what we got yeah! stick around see you soon Nick and Vanessa Lachey trying to reassure Netflix viewers as love appeared to be late. The live feed for its popular Love is Blind reunion. Well, the special was delayed by over an hour, leading to a frenzy of complaints from fans on social media. And it's Netflix's first streaming event, Mega One, that fans would be able to help pick questions asked to the show's cast. Bloomberg's Felix Gillette joins us now. And, oh, I mean, this was just a bit of a failure for Netflix's iteration into these live-streamed events. Yeah, huge disaster for Netflix. I mean, they've you know, made a big deal about we're going to do more live events. This is part of their big push into advertising. You need more live programming. They're kind of dipping their toes in. They did the Chris Rock special last month. This is their second big live stream event. And for it to fail, not only signals the viewers like, you know, it's disappointing right now, but also all the media watchers, everyone that's thinking about buying advertising, mm-hmm. sports leagues, do you trust Netflix to live stream games in the future? Um, you know, this is not a great start. We'll, uh, we'll get a full opportunity, Caro, for a post-mortem because Netflix has earnings in 24 hours' time or so. One of the worst performers on the S&P 500, Felix. What have Netflix had to say? I think they issued an apology, didn't they? They apologized. You know, they said, stick around. We're going to tape the show. There was a live audience. So they said, OK, we'll do the reunion. We'll tape it and then we'll put it up tomorrow. So at some point today, presumably fans are going to get to watch this. Um, I think it's less of a problem with the fans and just a broader problem for Netflix when they've made such a big deal about, OK, we're doing this big advertising initiative and we're really going to start ramping up our live programming. Um, this is just not what you want to see getting out of the gate. Hmm. Netflix with their tweets, AOC and other lawmakers weighing in to what was really a moment of, of culture, but it kind of failed. We thank you so much, Felix Gillette. What a fascinating story. Apparently you should get a seamstress in. But that was all things Netflix. Now that was all things Bloomberg Technology done for this particular edition, Ed. Yeah, frantic starts of the week. A lot to recap, so don't forget to check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts on the terminal on Bloomberg, but also on Apple, Spotify and iHeart. From New York, from San Francisco, Monday, fun day, long way to go. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com.